Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. This is Money and Me, the show for you investors. We try to answer as many of your questions as we possibly can. You can always WhatsApp me nine seven one seven eight eight nine three. Who knows? Your query could make it to a future show. Swapnil Mishra is head of private wealth at Crystal AI. He joins us this morning. The Chinese stock market closing in on a ten trillion US dollar valuation. That's a milestone that China's investors have waited five years for. Is this the market for investors to enter? Meanwhile. While Top Glove has emerged as the third biggest company in Malaysia by market capitalization, what does this mean for investors? And Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com, we know has a secondary listing in Hong Kong. We want to take the pulse of how they've been faring since that listing. Medtech's UG Healthcare. You may have noticed their shares have tumbled recently. What do we make of these stocks through the eyes of a seasoned investor? What do we see as a future of personal protective gear? And it was the news yesterday. Singapore's advanced second quarter GDP figures indicating a full-blown recession with second quarter figures worse than economists expected of a 10.5% fall. It's about 2% worse in terms of flash estimates. Uh, the official forecast indicates a contraction of between 4 and 7%. We're joined by Swapnil Mishra to help us get beyond the numbers, head of private wealth at Crystal AI. How are you, Swapnil? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. Let's start with your view of U.S. banking stocks. So we know in the news, three major U.S. banks are setting aside an additional 23 billion U.S. dollars as a backstop against bad loans. And this highlighting the state of the U.S. economy, pretty brittle because of the pandemic. What are you looking at when, when you think banking stocks right now? So, I mean, I would say this week and I guess the next week as well, the U.S. Uh, bank earnings are going to be out and, and clearly the spotlight is on the earning results. Mm-hmm. Um, anecdotally, we know and, and being from the same industry, we know that, uh, you know, during the times of uh, crisis, like the way we saw in the last, uh, let's say, between March and April, um Liquidity is low. Bond traders are able to enjoy wider spread. So earnings, uh, at least the revenues from trading, uh, picks up. And even though the analysts had priced that, if you just take a look at what came out yesterday uh, for at least Citibank and JP Morgan, the earnings uh, beat the forecast. So while the analysts were pricing in uh, better earnings for quarter two, uh, they managed to even beat that. And that was uh, something which is positive. So while... There is uncertainty on, uh, you know, on, on, on some part of the business. At least uh, for quarter two, it is it's been ahead of what was anticipated. Uh, I think if interest rate environment is is going to remain, uh, you know, benign, mm. then the earnings potential for these uh, uh, for banks is going to be under pressure. Um, having said that, uh, they still are the backbone of the economy. So in 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 a, you know, in, in that sense. It would be very difficult to not have any exposure to banking uh, as as one of the key uh, industries. So we saw Wells Fargo shares tumbling 5% after they posted a $2.4 billion loss, dividends slashed to $0.10. In terms of what you think investors need to understand about uh, what to look out for with the earnings, what would you say? So for Wells Fargo, clearly, uh, this is something where... uh, uh, 
you know, they have, I think slashing the dividends itself is a negative news because for a lot of these entities, uh, the dividend is a big component of the you know, expectation for shareholders. So uh, that's, I think that is the indication that for some banks uh, or, or at least banks that are not able to uh, capture, uh, do not have the size uh, like your JP Morgan uh, to, to be able to weather the uh, pressure in terms of the revenues for the next uh, two quarters. Because clearly for the next quarter, it is not going to be as good as it was in the last quarter. Uh, with, with continued extension uh, of uh, the, you know, the lockdown measures and, and, and opening up has not been as, as smooth as it has been in, in, in the rest of the world, at least in case of U.S. I want to know which, so it will affect. Mm-hmm. which camp are you in when it comes to recovery? Are you in the camp of the V-shape because a vaccine seems to be on the horizon and therefore, um, you know, how could this impact banks? Which, which camp are you when it comes to recovery? How do you see that related to um, bank, banks' performances? So I would, I mean, uh, <laughs> interesting question. I am in the camp of, uh, protecting upside. Okay. I think a lot of, uh, there's, there's enough bad news, and we saw that in case of China as well. We have seen that in the recovery as well. Mm. Today, protecting the upside is a big priority. So, uh, you know, we don't want to get caught down by the negative news because, yes, the, the uncertainty is there. Uh, a lot of liquidity that investors have, and there is fear and anticipation because of you know because the journey is littered with uncertainty. So there's no doubt about that. And when the uncertainty is high, the temptation is to do nothing and hold cash. When that situation happens, what the risk is market going up. So protecting upside becomes a very important aspect where some participation is needed. Otherwise, um, and the other way to do it is. Um, uh, Media talks about negative news, mm. so I try to have you know conversation with friends who are bulls and not bears. <laughs> <laughs> so hang out with the bulls. <laughs> hang out with the bulls, not the bears. Nice variety there. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what you see. I mean, could this be a sign of dangerous overheating? China's investors have waited five years for stock values to return to ten trillion. That milestone would seal the market's recovery from the biggest crash in history. So according to Bloomberg, China's domestic equities are worth about $9.7 trillion. Are we expecting it to hit the $10 trillion milestone this week? What do you think? It's exciting. And while the market has, uh, you know, I don't know about the memory for the market. Mm. I remember very clearly the last time this happened, uh, it, it took almost one to two years uh, for the market to recover because there was a, a big correction. And I think that, you know, everyone is, is kind of, at least everyone remembers that moment that, you know, how the, how five years back it was like a peak. And then from there we had the, uh, the big correction. Right. Uh, we've, we've also seen that in the last five years, it has not really managed to outperform uh, some of the other, uh, you know, broader markets. And I feel the, the impact of uh, technology, the impact of consumption uh, both of these factors have not really been priced into the market. So, you you know, you still see this very emerging market-like behavior where nothing happens and then suddenly you go up 30% in a matter of two weeks. And that makes it very suspicious. Um, but I, I, am in, I believe that uh, this is something which um, is on, on much stronger footing. So if I look at the data points, right, so the recent data that came out on the, uh, both the, you know, the trade data for imports and exports came out, 
higher than the uh, estimates mm. and uh, gdp growth also the forecast is better than uh, i think they have data coming out later this week so if you look at that data then clearly the recovery is on on more sound footing so i will not extend this logic that because 5 years back after the you know peak it kind of corrected which means the same thing will happen so you think this is a healthy healthy bull run i think this is at least for china it is more a case of catch up and it goes back to you know our previous conversation it's also sector rotation so mm. there is there is the there is a broad uh, shift in the theme that while we are you know we are focusing on us let's also look at 85% of the population which lives in emerging markets and what's happening to their world because they now get their first smartphone and they're now kind of you know doing things over there so what is going to happen over there and that's the shift which means emerging market and china of course um, you know being a big beneficiary of that with local spending will uh, will will get allocation of capital uh, uh, to participate in that market But do you think sentiment around the economy is going to change with the shifts to the US-China trade war? I mean, we've seen China say, trying to encourage greater use of the yuan around the world anticipating sort of hit back on the dollar peg for Hong Kong for example. Yeah. Um and, and you know we've seen the Chinese yen strengthen to levels unseen since March. Exports grew as well. So what do you think about sentiment for the Chinese economy moving ahead with the backdrop of the US-China rivalry? I think that that is probably the one big uh, risk factor because it is an event which is motivated you know in a way politically motivated you are, you know you could have uh, there is a headline somewhere cold war 2.0 so uh, if you go down the path like right now i think yesterday trump announced that phase 2 they don't want to talk because of you know whatever has happened in the last 6 months um while china is committed to increase the imports and i think they have some numbers which they have committed both uh, for agri non agri imports mm. uh the fact that politically uh, it can derail although my belief in this is political intervention in this kind of situations is a temporary uh, reaction if the economy is doing well if there is uh, you know earning if there is uh, businesses are doing well and these are not just state owned enterprises right so these are actual companies which have businesses and a lot of these companies have investments in other parts of the world so today if, if if you are exposing yourself to alibaba you're not just buying a you know alibaba you're buying uh, 40% of a company which is let's say in india you're buying you know 30% of some other company which is in some other part of the world so uh, if if you look at that as, as a at a broader level it um, that's more important as a fundamental factor than just the political headline that I don't want to do a trade deal with China. Mm. That's a great point. I want to turn now to Top Glove. I started looking at this earlier this year in January. Okay, February 25th Top Glove was $1.85. Right now, Top Glove is trading at $7.26. Uh, that's down 3.7%. Top glove for the the listeners, the world's largest glove manufacturer. It is the third biggest company on Bursa Malaysia. It's overtaken Tanaga Nasional. We know there's been a bull run of rubber glove stocks um, that seems to show no signs of dissipating anytime soon. We've seen shares in Supermax, Top Glove, Kosan Rubber Industries, Hartalega Holdings have quite a run, scale new all-time highs. But I want to focus on Top Glove uh, and its market value, 64 billion ringgit 
uh, at the close of trading recently. What do you make of Top Glove's market capitalization and valuation? I think uh, it's it's clearly on the back of growth. So there's there's no doubt. And if you see just the uh, the production, you know they're 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 forecasted to grow from uh, 73 billion pieces um, in in this third quarter to uh, 100 billion next year. Um, and and so so that's something which is clearly on the back of uh, the growth. And we all know why the growth is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in this specific case, the other positive aspect is that they uh, they are kind of um, you know preparing for this uh, expansion so there is there is capital investment which is being done they're adding factories i understand that certain you know i think they're trying to build at least two factories every year to keep pace with the global demand um, and and then the general you know awareness or towards the usage of gloves uh, across the globe uh, what is the danger here? The danger here is, of course, um, capital expansion happens. They invest in the factories, but you know, by next year, these things change, and uh, you know, demand drops. So that, of course, can have an impact. So today, it is just pricing in that growth. Mm. And um, I guess the other risk could be if uh, countries are looking for you know protecting and and supporting their own um, kind of um, local companies. Then you know if you're reducing the dependence on other countries, then suddenly this may come up as a problem. But otherwise, uh, uh, they have shown uh, solid growth and uh, uh, shown the uh, ability to kind of capitalize on the increase in demand. So we saw 8.23 million shares traded yesterday. Any idea what spurred this high level of market activity? I think it's just getting on the radar of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the word top glove, uh, it, it takes a few seconds to realize that it is truly the, the biggest glove manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they, they must have really anticipated this name as the top glove. <laughs> prescient, pretty prescient, I'd say. All right, let's move to JD.com. They're a Chinese e-commerce giant. JD.com is priced its shares at 226 Hong Kong dollars each. They've raised 3.87 billion US dollars with its Hong Kong secondary listing. These The listing comes against the backdrop of Chinese companies putting off plans for U.S. listings because of mounting tensions between the U.S. and China. So JD.com is already listed in NASDAQ, had previously flagged it would sell 133 million shares. We want to take the temperature of JD.com right now since it's listing on the Hong Kong exchange. How is it faring? Well, uh, if you take the top, um, the, you know, the analyst views, everyone is, or a large number of them are shifting to a overweight or a buy recommendation mm. and if you see the you know the, if you see the connection between uh, a listing of uh, company in, in nasdaq versus an exchange outside nasdaq of course the uh, corporate governance is one of the factors which uh, provides that additional comfort when a company is listed in a nasdaq right. and uh, over here i think um, i mean i would say that the, the stock is uh, it's, a, it's a good buy and they have They've generally fared well because they have been um, uh, showing improvement in terms of their, uh, you know, basic indicators, loss margin, uh, you know, profit margins and profitability. And I think um, it'll continue to be, uh, I mean, analysts love it. And that's, that's, that's a big positive. All right. Well, 
also a lot of love being shown for the uh, integrated healthcare segment. So we thought we'd focus on MedTechs and UG Healthcare, Swapnil. Shares of these two catalyst-listed healthcare players tumbled on Monday, and that prompted separate queries from the Singapore Exchange. MedTechs, for the listener, MedTechs makes personal protective equipment, and uh, UG Healthcare is involved in disposable glove making. What do you make of these two stocks? Uh so firstly, this is something which as a sector uh, is, is considered a natural beneficiary because, uh, pro, you know, personal protective P- uh, equipment, your PPE is, is clearly something which is in very high demand. Uh, mm. and, and so the fact that the stocks were of interest is, is, is expected. Uh, the sudden drop could be just a uh, profit taking or it could be a factoring in that further growth is going to be difficult because they are operating at... Um, at, at more or less full capacity. And I think that is probably more true for UG Healthcare, where they may not be able to uh, grow beyond this point, which means uh, the, the, the investors, and especially the institutional investors, may take a view that, you know, this is it, and, and they've caught the returns that they wanted, and they're out of that. So it's profit-taking and shifting to, uh, let's say, you know, other sectors or other countries. He's Swapnil Mishra, Head of Private Wealth at Crystal AI. Let's take a closer look at the sectors that look like they may be areas of opportunity. This in light of Singapore's economy in a recession, according to the Ministry of Trade and Industry Advance Estimates, Singapore's gross domestic product plummeting 12.6% year-on-year in the second quarter in a full-blown recession uh, for Singapore. Therefore, are there opportunities uh, where there, there's substantial upside for investors, Swapnil. Yeah, that's, I mean, the Singapore GDP was, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've seen friends who don't live in Singapore <laughs> sending a WhatsApp message saying, hey, GDP down. And, and of course, the headline number 42% looks quite uh, eye-catching. Mm. Uh, but that's a glass half full, glass empty kind of a thing. I think if you see the forecast um, is, uh, is, is not uh, as bad. And I would say, with the opening. So what happened in the past uh, three months is anticipated. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this case, I think it was exaggerated specifically because of our, uh, you know, the localized problem around uh, construction, which had to almost, uh, you know, come to a grinding halt. And um, with uh, phase two coming up, uh, I think things are opening up. And while it is still technically, it is, it's it's a technical recession. Um, I think we are seeing, uh, even the economists are forecasting that uh, things will not be as bad in the next uh, two quarters. But you have to kind of read the fifth and the sixth paragraph to discover this positive <laughs> news. Mm. Um, sectors of opportunity, Swapnil, given where we're sitting right now? Uh, I would say from here on, uh, so so far if you've seen the problems are construction, retail and tourism. These yeah. are the three big sectors which have uh, uh, seen the challenges. Uh, if we, if if the recovery happens in this, with the opening, I would consider the worst affected sectors are going to be the biggest beneficiaries. So right, right, I would, right. so I would use that as the uh, as a benchmark that the worst affected sector will be beneficiary. And uh, in that context, I would say even REITs would be a beneficiary of um, of any sign of opening up. The the danger, of course, is if um, we are not able to successfully transition into opening, but we face you know, some kind of a roadblock where cases increase and then we have to go back 
then there is a difficulty but otherwise mm-hmm. um, your sectors like you know construction uh, retail will all benefit we cannot let you go without knowing what is on the playlist given the economic <laughs> background what are you listening to sapna <laughs> um <laughs> I can't think of a song but but I must say that there's a there's a there's a bridge or a you know segment in the song if you know sweet child of mine guns and roses okay and there's a whole section where they say where do we go now <laughs> so if you say it's sweet market of mine <laughs> where do we go now so we are truly at that point <laughs> where investors are thinking where do we go from here You go up or you go down. <laughs> I'll see your guns and roses and I'll raise you John Mayer. This next one is just for you, Swapnil. Thanks so much for joining us, Swapnil Mishra, Head of Private Wealth at Crystal AI. Have a wonderful day, Swapnil. Thank you. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.